Welcome again to Straight Talk, your intermittent podcast of political thought. I'm your host, Scott Wyant, and today I've got an interview with Gwendolyn Combs, who's running for the Democratic ticket for the Arkansas's 2nd Congressional District. Gwen is a mother, an Air Force veteran, and an elementary school teacher. Welcome, Gwen Combs. What made you decide to run for Congress? Well, it's kind of a long story. I'm a teacher, and leading up to the election, some of my students asked me if they were going to be murdered if Donald Trump was elected. They had seen the violence that was breaking out across the country in different places and the hatred that was rising and being enabled, and they were really scared. I teach elementary students, so it's not like these were high schoolers messing around. They were little kids with real heavy concerns. That led me to organize the Women's March for Arkansas, and that caused me to get further involved in advocacy. One of the advocacy groups that I was in contact with was Housing Works out of Washington, D.C., and they contacted me and asked me to host a training on the topic of healthcare advocacy. So I did that, and when summer rolled around, they invited me to come to D.C. and participate in some of the protesting that was going on to save the ACA. I didn't want to participate in civil disobedience because I thought at that point there was a chance that I was going to run for some office. But I went and I scheduled appointments with Senator Tom Cotton and with Senator Bozeman's legislative staff. And I told them where I stood on health care. Health care was important to me because I'm a veteran. I get my care at the VA hospital. Also, because I'm a teacher in a Title I school, my students rely on Medicaid for speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, behavioral and mental health services, and I really wanted to advocate for them. So I talked to the senators, and the senator and the senator's staff and told them where I stood on that. When they finally had the vote in the early morning hours of July 28th, and both of our senators voted to repeal without replacing the ACA, I filed with the FEC that day because I felt like that is the level of office where the policy that I wanted to affect could be changed. What issues are important to you in your campaign for Congress? Healthcare is obviously number one. As an educator, education is important to me specifically. Um, universal pre-K is important because I think that we need to level the playing field for students as they enter K-12 education. Um, K-12 education that is a high quality regardless of the neighborhood where it's located and a debt-free investment in our future in the form of college as well as expansion of trade and technical programs are important in the uh, realm of education. Another topic that is important to me is economic development and financial security of people, of working class people particularly. I believe in a $15 living wage. I believe that needs to be tied closely to inflation. I believe that we need to preserve Medicaid, um, sorry, Medicare and Social Security and tie those closely to the inflation of pharmaceutical costs. And I think that we need to work to create jobs in sectors that don't have a negative impact on our environment. We need to expand green energy and the jobs associated with that. What are your views on, on like, the issue of net neutrality? 
Oh, brother. Um, net neutrality is an important, important thing to uphold. Um, I write about it when I talk about infrastructure. It's uh, a matter of access to information and the loss of net neutrality. It stands to be detrimental to the the poor and the working class much more than to the wealthy who can afford to buy whatever net package they might want to buy in the future if it becomes parceled like that. Um, in education, we have worked for years to bring technology to our students' fingertips to give kids access to things that they might not otherwise be able to experience. I've got students who have never been outside of their neighborhood. And when you compare students like that to students who have been to the beach and to Paris by the time they hit high school, the the real world, real life um, experiential knowledge just changes the playing field for education. And to be able to put a kid in front of a computer or on a virtual field trip to see some of the places that they might not get to see otherwise can be life-changing. Net neutrality threatens to remove that as a possibility for educators. People like teachers have to have continuing education and professional development, some of which can be delivered online. Um, when you put a a cap on what amount of data can be used and you you monetize that, you unlevel the playing field even for professionals to continue to develop themselves in the realm of education. And that's not even touching entertainment because to me the entertainment portion of it isn't as big of a deal, but it is to many, many people. I'm sure that you're probably interested in like distance education and how people can use the Internet to further their education. Right. Do you feel like people in the rural areas in Arkansas have a more or less a disadvantage when it comes to furthering their opportunities with education? Well, I do. Um, another one of the things that I talk about in infrastructure along with net neutrality is the availability of Wi-Fi or other uh, broadband Internet access. It's a critical part of society at this point to have access to digital information, whether it be through infrastructure or pricing policies. We can bring um, universal Wi-Fi or universal broadband that would allow us to make amazing leaps and bounds in educating rural communities and connecting them in ways that they've been left out. Do you think Congress should use its authority to compel the FCC to treat uh, to treat broadband as a public utility? I would have to consult with people on that to make sure that I'm up to speed on the implications of it. My gut instinct is to say yes, that it should be considered a utility governed in the same ways that access to water and access to electricity and access to gas are. But I do need to consult with somebody on that. What are your feelings on private education versus public education versus charter schools 
Any any comments you have in, in any of that regard? Yeah, um, I have been a public educator for more than a decade, and I believe that public education is the key to equity. I believe that charter schools should be held to the same standards as any public school out there. Um, in Little Rock specifically, I work at a school that absorbed the student the large large quantity of the student body from one of the schools that was closed recently as a result of the state takeover. And then to worry about those buildings being utilized for charter schools that aren't held to the same standards, that don't have to pay for students to be transported, that don't have to provide library media services or gifted and talented programs or art and music programs is concerning. Um, so far, those buildings haven't been used for that, and I'm glad of that because we don't need any further degradation of the Little Rock School District, and I think that the more charter schools that are approved here, the more damage is done. Now, that's not to say that charter schools are bad. Uh, charter schools have a very valid place. I just want to see that they're held to the same standards of accountability and operations that public schools are. My child graduated from public school. He spent half of his education in public school and half of his education in private school due to some logistical challenges that his dad and I had um, commuting across the river from where we lived. We couldn't get him into uh, a public school for a while, and then we let him hang out until he started high school. So I've experienced private schools, and... I can say that they don't they didn't meet my son's needs as well as a public school would have. The tuition waivers, I think not tuition waivers, I'm sorry, um, tuition vouchers pose a hazard to public schools in that anything that funnels resources away from public schools will jeopardize them. The typical teacher spends five to $600 a year of their own paycheck on their own classroom. And education is one of the most important things that we can provide for a thriving society, for a qualified and educated workforce. And we need to invest in that in any way that we can. Could you elaborate on your thoughts about government funding of private and parochial schools? I believe really strongly in a separation of church and state. It's one of our founding regulations as a country, and I think that we need to adhere to that. And funding, um, using private funds to fund parochial schools is in contrast to what is supposed to be done in that situation, in my belief. Okay. The cost of mounting a campaign for federal office has skyrocketed in recent years, especially for television spots. It's become the practice of station owners setting their advertising rates during election season higher than at other times of the year. Do you think that a holder of a broadcast license should be able to charge higher rates during an election run-up just to increase their bottom line? You know what I'm? Do you, do you get what I'm talking about there? I do. I'm not a hundred percent informed on how all of that works, but I think it is. To the detriment of the people who vote, that they can't only, 
They can be reached more easily by a candidate who has more money, by a candidate who has more funding, and by a candidate who has dark money behind her or him. Um, it just, it's not a level playing field, and it it doesn't feel good. And I imagine it doesn't, it? on your end especially, because that... You know, the, well, yeah, the, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a voter and I'm a constituent. Um, and I want to know that I'm getting, I'm sorry for cutting you off there. No, that's fine. Um, I want to know that I'm getting the information that I should be entitled to, uh, that I should have access to in order to make an informed vote. And I don't think that the current practices um, make that entirely possible at all times. I think that the amount of money in politics is completely obscene, and it's insulting to people who work for a living, not just candidates who work in addition to running for office, but to the people who want to be heard and whose voices are suppressed by large donations that people make, and therefore an obligation to those people once you're in office. And I don't think that's fair. The focus of my campaign has really been to get out and talk to people, and I'm not talking to rich donors. I'm talking to people who work at Waffle House overnight and things like that to try to make a difference to connect with the people who are really kind of the foundation of our country. In many parts of the country, electrical utility companies have been able to get local governments to restrict solar installations on private homes. What are your opinions on that? and renewable energy options as a whole? I am all in favor of renewable energy. I don't think that we need to count on fossil fuels lasting forever, and I think that we need to do what we can to offset the, the carbon footprint that we're causing by continuing to use it as our population continues to multiply. Um, I am not completely up to speed on policy regarding the use of solar panels and wind energy for private use, but I do think that what harm can come from swapping a solar panel on your roof, I think it should be allowed and I think it should be encouraged, frankly, because ultimately, if we use up everything, what's left for our kids and our grandkids and future generations beyond them? The sun is completely unlimited, and we should take advantage of its power, particularly when it comes at a lower carbon cost. There, there's been a push in some circles to remove the cap for Social Security taxation. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do, and oh my gosh, it's so necessary. I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but I think that um, we're approaching a point where we start dipping into the reserve at a rate faster than it's replenished. And if we don't do something to correct that, we'll be in a situation where the money will run out. We need to be proactive in that. And I definitely think that expanding the cap, raising the cap, or removing the cap on the level of income that's taxed for Social Security is, is critical to doing that. Yeah, it seems, it seems to me like that would be the easiest way to, to remove any obstacles to funding Social Security for the rest of its existence. It seems pretty common sense to me, too. However, we've got legislators who are 
you know, current members of Congress who are really catering to a class of people who is not the working class. We've got uh, people who have large corporations and large donors in mind in the decisions that they make, and that needs to change in order for us to get to that point. Has anybody come to you and asked you to to make any kind of pledges as far as your campaign goes? Yeah, I was contacted by U.S. term limits asking me to pledge to sponsor a term limit bill. I think that may be the only one that I've received. I'm feeling like there's one other, but I'm not thinking of it off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Oh, that's quite all right. What do you, what do you think about, about organizations asking potential members of Congress to make pledges? I've got kind of mixed feelings on it. I think that term limits are probably important, but that six years is what they're asking for the U.S. House of Representatives and 12 years for the U.S. Senate. And I just am not confident that six years is an adequate amount of time for someone to be, well, an expert at what they do. That would sure help, I think. It seems to me like it would take longer. And Right. It becomes a very young and very uninformed institution as opposed to one that could have the potential to have a wealth of knowledge in its ranks. When we talk about education and we talk about becoming an expert in something, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert. And that's basically about 10 years of regular practice. If you're talking about a congressman, with their schedule, it'd probably take about 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Right. In your view, how can Congress better represent the people of the United States? I think it's important to consider the dynamics in Congress as far as diversity is concerned. Um, Currently, Congress is represented by about 20% women, and I think that if we can increase those numbers, we have the potential to start to break down some of the barriers of, of diversity and have a more representative government than what we currently have. Um, women aren't the only population that needs to be represented more. We need more people of color in leadership in all levels of government. And we need to make sure that we are consistent in developing policy that uh, not only enables people of marginalized populations to to be well represented, but also to thrive in our society. Those things are important to me. Yeah, it seems to me like with 51% of the population being female, there should be a little more than 20% representation in Congress. Right, exactly. Women carry a huge burden um, in our society. We tend to be the ones who care for children. We tend to be the ones who care for parents. We tend to be the ones who accept the some of the lower-paying jobs in society, um, cleaning motel rooms, working in cafeterias and schools, teaching in schools. Um, and it's time that we level things out a bit. With the Me Too movement, it's fresh on my mind that harassment can only take place when there's a differential in power. If we work to eliminate those those differences in the amount of power that are held by women versus men or Caucasians versus people of color, then we start to 
see a more peaceful and civilized society. What kind of support have you received in the community? Well, there are a lot of people who are really supportive of the campaign. Um, Because I am a teacher, I have a wide base of former students, parents, um, even some former students who are grown now. And in addition to that, there are lots of connections that I've made through organizing the march last year, through doing some trainings and um, educational opportunities for the community since then, and through connecting with the different groups that I've been involved with since then. Okay, let's return for a minute to a subject that's been in the news quite a lot this past year and was quite instrumental in your decision to run for Congress. What would you like to see in the nature of health care? Yeah, okay. Um, as far as health care is concerned, I am a firm believer in Medicare for all. However, the way it's written, there are still existing limitations on income and assets for people with disabilities who require long-term support services and home and, communi- home and community-based services. So I would ultimately like to see Medicare that eliminates those limitations so that we are truly serving everyone who needs health care, which is everyone. Um, I recognize that it will probably take a couple of steps before we achieve that point. I think it's feasible to expect that we can reach that by 2021, according to the experts that I hear talking about it. Um, and in the, in the process of getting there, I think it's important that we stand firm on a couple of points. I think that we need to make sure that every bill that's passed ensures more people, not fewer, that we are lowering out-of-pocket costs, including premium costs for everyone, that we are preserving Medicaid and Medicaid expansion, preserving Medicare, and also that we're providing the same coverage for everyone regardless of their age, income, gender, and pre-existing conditions. How hard has it been working full-time and campaigning for the Democratic nomination? It's challenging, but it's not impossible. Um, Fortunately, I have a schedule that I can work full-time, and I'm off contract by 3.05 in the afternoon. So I can schedule a call with you, or I can get out to a meeting. Um, I've made it to a 6 o'clock meeting in Clinton, for example, I've also been out uh, to Searcy and to Benton and Bryant, um, heading over to Moralton soon. So it's possible to get around even with working the schedule. It's challenging. I have coffee every morning to get me through, but uh, it's possible. And I've got my weekends free, too. Okay, that's good to know. All right, Gwen, so if somebody wants to help you, help your campaign, what do they need to do? The best way to find out all of that information is to visit my website. That is www.combsforarkansas.com. I'm also on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Um, Facebook is really active. The website's being reconstructed, so it'll look brilliant here within the next week or two. And for right now, it's still a great place for people to get in touch. Gwen Combs, I want to thank you for for taking this time to chat with me today, and I I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Scott. Okay, there you have it. Gwen Combs, running for Congress, Arkansas 2. Remember, the primary is May the 22nd. 
I urge everyone to get out and vote and bring a friend. Every time I hear the people cry, don't you know that the man is gonna lie? I tried to tell them that they have a choice. Team.